the Hit the Light podcast featuring Big Frog and Michael Castleberry is on the air. Covering classic metal and comedy from San Diego, California. So now sit tight and hit the light. The Hit the Light podcast is recorded live and uncensored. Big Frog in particular is not politically correct, so please don't be offended. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hit the Light podcast with me, Big Frog, and Castleberry is in Orlando with the uh, Mickey Mouse Club and the lady and all that. So this is a perfect opportunity for me to do um episode on Rush because... um. I love Rush, and, you know, there's always the argument, is Rush heavy metal? Rush, no, no, not really, you know, but um, there are aspects of it that, you know, have properties of it, and, you know, a lot of metal dudes were influenced by Rush in some ways, myself included, very much, and so... um and so, yeah, I think Rush definitely falls into the heavy metal lexicon. Um, not everybody likes Rush, you know. Uh, the reason that I'm doing this one solo is because Castleberry's not that big of a fan of Rush, which is cool. I understand that, and that's been a whole thing throughout the whole time. But um, I love Rush, so I'm going to talk about Rush. Um, but before that, I'll give you a little bit of current event, just really just one. Um, uh, we saw Kiss this last week, um, Castleberry and me and my brother-in-law Roy and Yesenia and my girl <clears throat> and Castleberry took his brother who's cool. And, uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about it more when he gets back or whatever, but just as a, you know, synopsis of the thing, it was cool, man. I had fun, you know, um, they they went all out the the um I haven't seen a, a concert with that many you know explosions and fucking theatrics and fucking you know Paul Stanley flies across the fucking uh, arena on this thing and you know it was it was huge it was huge you know uh, <clears throat> of course for me the big the uh you know the big issue is you know Ace isn't there. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he's the fucking star of the band. You know, he's always been my dude in the band. So, uh, whatever. You know, uh, it was still cool. Um, and, yeah. So, uh, I would recommend that you see them. If, if they're coming around, might as well, you know. Uh, is it the last one, last one? Who knows? Whoever knows? But, you know what? That shit looked pretty demanding, man. And... You know, Paul Stanley's in tremendous fucking shape for being as old as he is, but he's old. And Gene's like, you know, he's wearing extra, um, like extra costume to fucking cover up, you know, whatever it is. He's, you know, a little thicker on a fucking little old, whatever it is. So uh, he's not, you know, moving around as much. It probably is the last one. So, you know, check it out, man. Uh, it was cool. Anyways, so, to get into Rush, man, what can I say about Rush? Rush is one of my favorite bands. Rush is the band that I've seen more times live than any other band, which I think the number is 23, something like that. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, and that seems like a lot for it to see one band, but compared to fucking Rush fans that I know, that's nothing. You know, <clears throat> there have been, I mean, there are Rush fans that see Rush 23 times on one tour because that's how fucking obsessed they are with, with Rush. Now, I'm not like that, but um, but I do love Rush, man. Anyway, I'll get into my personal experience with Rush later on. But first, I'll just tell you a little bit about the band. You know, they're Canadian. They're from Toronto. Um, it was Alex Lifeson, Giddy Lee, and John Rutsey. And um, for Getty and Alex, Rush is actually their first band that they were ever in, you know, as kids. And... Um, and along with John Rutsey, they got big around, you know, around their hometowns and um, and made an album. They tried to get, you know, major label attention, but nobody was really down with with um, with signing them. So they put an album out themselves. And as it turns out, a couple of things happened where uh one DJ in Cleveland got a hold of their album and started playing the song Working Man. And it just kept getting requests and requests and blowing up and blowing up. And then, you know, uh, another record label dude in some other city got uh, wind of what was going on in Cleveland and he got a hold of the record and, you know, he signed him right away. Like he made sure, like he made sure his label signed him right away. And so they were off and running. And um, right around that time, John Rutsey, like, you know, I don't know. They're very vague about it. They say he had diabetes, but, you know, a lot of dudes have diabetes and they still can tour or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. If they hint at some alcohol issues or whatever, so I don't know. Whatever it was, they let him go, and um, they went looking for other drummers. And of course, Neil Pert shows up. Right now, <clears throat> I call him Neil Pert because that's how he was introduced to me. And since then, I've found out that his name is Neil Peart, is that's how it's said or whatever. But I just say it the way I've always said it because, you know, that's Neil Peart to me. And he's like, you know, the greatest rock drummer of all time to me. And that's good enough. So, um, so he shows up and, you know, obviously he gets the gig. I mean, how could you, how could he not fucking get the gig, right? But, um, and so he does the first tour and, uh, and the two bands that they opened for on this, on these tours were the first one was Uriah Heep and that went one leg of the tour and, you know, and then the next part of it was Kiss. And so they got tight with, with the dudes from Kiss and, um, and, you know, they learned a lot about, you know, how to like be committed, you know, on stage and how to like, you know, give the fans their money's worth and everything like that because, you know, Kiss was all about that. Kiss was also all about partying, you know, Gene with the chicks and I guess Paul with the chicks and then Ace and Peter with their booze and the dope and the chicks and, 
you know, and Rush wasn't like that at all. They were like, okay, you know, after the gig, you know, go home and go to their hotel rooms and you'd watch TV or whatever and read books and stuff like that. So they, they weren't like your everyday rock band at all, you know. Um, and so that and so that kind of tripped people out. But they were also, you know, very professional on the road. And so, you know, even though like they were driving around in a rental car at that time, uh, but the album started doing pretty well and, um, and the record company's excited for the new album. Now, when Neil joined the band, they found that he was, you know, very into books, very into literature, very into concepts and, <clears throat> and he started writing a lot of lyrics, you know, and, uh, it really kind of changed the style of the band from, you know, just, you know, writing about everyday things that that normal songs are about at that time to, you know, going on these, you know, different types of concepts or whatever. And uh, and I guess, you know, for, for when Fly By Night came out, I mean, it had Fly By, Not, Fly By Night on it, which I don't know if it was a hit at the time. But by the time I started listening to Rush, it was a it was a hit already. Um, of course, I mean we're talking about this is 1975. I'm old as fuck, but I was only six then, so I wasn't there for any of this shit. I'm just telling you this from shit that I heard and shit that I read, and whatever. But um, so by fly by fly by night, you know some of like Neil's fucking. Got, you know, like, Bitor and Snow Dog and fucking weird shit on there. And the record company's kind of like, what the fuck is this shit, you know? And uh, and then for the next album, they did um, Caress of Steel, which is even, like, more of a... There's only, like, three songs that are not, you know, concept album type things and so it's like I mean so basically they had three chances at a hit because neither one of those other ones was going to be a hit and and they didn't get any so they didn't get any hits on that album and basically the record label was like okay we're going to give you guys like one more shot but you guys need to come commercial come you know <clears throat> come with some singles, come with some hits or whatever. And Rush was just like, yeah, nah, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And if we're going to go out, then we're going to go out like that, right? And so they went back in the studio and they came out with 2112. Now, 2112 is an awesome, awesome album, right? Uh, but again, it's very, very concept-oriented. You know, one side's a whole concept and the other side's got songs, but even the songs are not, you know, they're not geared towards um, radio or anything like that. But somehow, just the greatness of the album overcame everything, and it became a hit. And that basically, like, gave Rush license to do more of what they wanted and not have to listen to um, to what the uh, record company or anybody else was, was talking about, you know. So, 
around that time it's is where like the split uh began with fans because like not everybody is a rush fan i mean like for you it's almost as if you love them or hate them because um as you know the haters came out which you know they would talk you know about like oh you know getty's voice of course you know the fucking lyrics what the fuck are they talking about you know fucking look at their fucking silky robes and shit they look fucking retarded or you know whatever fucking um what kind of music is this anyways is this fucking supposed to be like heavy metal supposed to be hard rock is it like prog what the you know everybody had like something to say like all like everybody who didn't like it had something to complain about or something that they didn't like about it but basically that like consolidated the people that love rush and they just like you know they came together and i think because of that it's like rush has a wide lane they can do a lot of things without alienating their fan base because their fan base is like there man regardless you know so that's a nice freedom to have to be able to you know go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do and so i mean you know the answer to the question is what kind of music is this anyways it's just rush and and since it's just rush there are no really rules and they can just do whatever the fuck they want. And I'm going to dig it. You know, I mean, to a certain point. Like, I mean, you know, <clears throat> of course, I prefer the fucking heavy guitar shit to the heavy keyboard shit. But still in all, it's the same band just using different instruments to create something that's still important and still awesome. You know? So after 2112, Rush becomes like a headlining band. And, <clears throat> and you know, they sell a lot of albums. You know, the next couple albums, of Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres, were, again, concept albums, you know. Um, but, like, Farewell to Kings had Closer to the Heart on it, which was a hit. Hemispheres, in addition to the Cygnus side... You know, it has um, the trees on it, which is, you know, personal favorite of mine. La Via Strangiato, which is like one of the great Rush songs of all time. That, you know, as far as just everything, concept and difficulty. I mean, and by difficulty, I mean impossibility, practically, you know. And um, and those albums were killer and, and the concepts were killer and, you know, Rush was like, Rush was different, man. I mean, there was nobody, as far as I knew, there was nobody else doing what Rush did. And, you know, and like I said, you know, this is before me and this is kind of my imagination or whatever. But, or, you know, what I gathered from it when I came back to it later, you know. Um, Then, Permanent Waves comes out. And Permanent Waves was like a just, okay, they suddenly did what um, what the record company wanted them to do and kind of just started writing more straightforward songs. 
and this one's got fucking the spirit of radio, which, you know, <clears throat> they still play it on the radio today. You know, Free Will, they still play it on the radio today. You know, uh, these are like songs that are in movies now a lot too because, you know, it's uh, when, you know, you get nostalgic about a time in the movie or whatever and and Rush represents certain periods of time to certain people and those people are like now writing movies and you know starring in movies and shit like that and it comes out that way you know which is cool and every time like for me as a rush fan every time i see anything that that has rush on it i'm like ah look check that check that shit out you know <clears throat> it's cool that you know rush is finally like cool whereas they were always you know the nerdy whatever um kind of marginalized band by certain people by certain magazines or because people didn't know what you know what to make of them you know what to put do you you know put them in you know hit parader magazine they're you know i don't know do you put them in uh new some new wave thing in the in the 80s when they were doing that thing i don't know you know <clears throat> it's just like People didn't know what to do with them. Some people didn't know what to do with them. I knew what to do with them. I just fucking bumped their shit fucking over and over and over and over. You know, and that's the way, you know, that's the way you become a Rush fan. Now, right here is where your boy Big Frog comes in the picture. Okay, it's 81. I'm in like the seventh grade. And there's Tom Sawyer, you know. Tom Sawyer's on the radio. And it's just like, what? That's the first thing that I ever heard from Rush was Tom Sawyer. And, um, and of course, you know, blown away, blown away by the drums, you know. Um, I, Getty's voice never bothered me. Not one time. Not like, you know, and especially not on that song, which, you know, which was the first thing, you know, um, Alex was, you know, uh, not flashy, but solid and, you know, uh, melodic and he did, you know, he made, he sounded different from everybody else because he used chords that ever, that nobody else used, or at least nobody else that I was listening to was using those those type of chords and shit. And um, and so I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like fucking, it's kind of like if you went and got a pizza at some place on their very best day, and they just made the bombest pizza that they've ever made, and you're just like, well, fuck yeah, of course I'm fucking coming back here. It's no brainer, right? So that's what it was when I heard Tom Sawyer, when I heard um, and it, and went out and got moving pictures, and um, and moving pictures has nothing weak on it, you know, nothing weak on it. So. It's, it's, of course, you play it over and over and over and over. And, you know, and the lyrics are deep and you're trying to fucking figure out what they, what they mean, you know. And, um, at the time, you know, uh, they were the first band that probably made me grab the lyric sheet and, and read the lyrics, you know, and, and try to like, you know, figure out what you know what the hell exactly was going on 
<clears throat> because it was different from anything else that I was listening to. You know, which, like I said, put them in a category of their own. So it's 81, and so I'm 12 years old, and I'm too young to go see Rush, obviously. You know, I'm there, they're not going to let me go, you know, with my friends or, or whatever, and they're not going to come with me to listen to that shit, you know. <laughs> but, um, but so... They did, they had a live album, Exit Stage Left. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of live albums when they're done right. And this one was fucking done right. And it's got, you know, everything on it, you know. Because, you know, also at the time, I was aware of, uh, since I became aware of, you know, Tom Sawyer and of Moving Pictures, although that was the only album that I had, you know, the Spirit of Radio was on the radio sometimes. Red Barchetta was on the radio. Closer to the Heart was on the radio. Free Will was on the radio. And obviously Tom Sawyer was on the radio. But um, so so that was, you know, basically my first... All of those songs were my first introduction to Rush. and uh, And Exit Stage Left was like the the cementing of all these songs in uh in a liver heavier concept as far as i was concerned they, i always liked the way rush sounded live much better than the way they sounded in the studio even though i love the way they sound in the studio the way that they sound live is just fucking it's the way that that rush should be heard you know in my opinion uh, now at the same time, I'm in eighth grade now, right? So let's say I'm, uh, whatever it is, 13, something like that. Um, my friend Steve Potts, uh, had the 2112 album. And so of course, you know, we recorded it off of him and, you know, he liked it because, uh, Passage to Bangkok was on it, which was, uh, basically about smoking weed and we had just started smoking weed. So, you know, we were like, yeah, you know, uh, we're cool, you know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, the Rush gets us, we get Rush on a level that, you know, of course you can't because, you know, whatever. Anyways, so, uh, so yeah, so I get into 2112 and, you know, the story of 2112, you know, the dude, you, you know, he finds the guitar, but, you know, they're under this government control and, you know, all this shit. And at the end, you know, it's all good because, you know, the Federation comes and shit. And, you know, and it was just a trip that, you know, the whole side of the album was that. I was just like, what the fuck? You know, and... And then, yeah, Passage to Bangkok, which was, um, which was, like I said, a, a cool anthem for us, you know, and, uh, and Twilight Zone, which was a trip because, you know, Twilight Zone was, was always on TV when I was a kid and, you know, and, and yeah, and, and they captured that shit pretty good. Uh, Something for Nothing is one of my favorite songs of all time and what a fucking way to end a record, you know, um, great, great great shit great fucking record and uh and really to tell you the absolute positive truth this record along with um 
along with moving pictures, along with exit stage left, and along with the show of hands are the albums that I really, really, really immersed myself in. I listened to all of the other records also, but those were the records that, you know, that got me, you know. Um, now, crazy enough, right after Moving Pictures just blew them into a whole nother stratosphere as far as fame and money and touring and everything, you know, I mean, like, during that time, Rush was everywhere. Rush was, like, on everybody's, you know, notebooks and um, folders and, you know, stickers and patches and whatever, you know, Rush was, Rush was the thing, suddenly, and for whatever reason, they, like, kind of make a fucking left turn on Signals, and Signals starts to be more keyboardy, and then Grace Under Pressure starts to be more keyboardy, you know, but at the same time, they've got, you know, radical songs on them, you know, um, Signals has Subdivisions, um, New World Man, those were my, those were cool songs with Doug. Grace Under Pressure had Distant Early Warning, which is a song that I love, Red Sector A, um, The Enemy Within. I love all those songs, you know. Um, and also at the time, you know, we're talking about 82, 84, I mean, yeah, 82, 84. Uh, I'm into, like, guitar music, you know. I'm starting to, I'm playing guitar, I'm listening to fucking, you know, those kind of dudes, uh, roads and you know coming coming up on Ingve and you know and so I'm kind of into into other shit so I'm not that pissed off that Rush is going keyboardy you know or whatever and A4 was the first time that I saw Rush Grace Under Pressure tour um, and it was badass it was like you know uh they still played the the heavy songs, heavy as fuck, and you know, and and I got to appreciate the the songs on the on the last two albums a lot better, and then I saw them every year, I saw them every year, and and sometimes I would go to L.A., so sometimes I would see them twice, sometimes three times, you know, uh, never with these couple of dudes that I that you know. I didn't know at the time, but later on I would come and find out that we're just like going, oh yeah, I'm going to go to all the shows all the way up the coast and, you know, and, and Arizona and whatever. And, and there was a lot of dudes, there was a lot of dudes doing that. And I, I didn't know that, but, you know, I would find that out when I would, you know, talk about what I thought was my impressive number of times having seen Rush and having people tell me that they've seen him a hundred times or more, you know. Um, kind of ridiculous, but kind of cool, man. I mean, you know. So the next album is um, Power Windows. Power Windows has the big money on it. Manhattan Project, Marathon, Mystic Rhythms. I like I like all those fucking songs. And uh, and then the next album again, Hold Your Fire, has Force Ten on it. Badass. Time stands still, badass, you know, but around this time, people are kind of like, mm, 
This shit's weird. It's got like some drum machine sounding shit on it. The keyboards are really, really fucking, you know, all up in it and whatever. You know, but for me, I still like, I got a show of hands. And to me, it's got those live versions that are heavier than the than the studio versions of those songs and but still it's the, it's the song and i love the song for me uh it was the musicianship that just carried over they were just better i mean like there was never a tighter band than rush as far as i was concerned there was never uh and live displayed that you know uh individual musicianship, you know, um, interpretation of, of parts, because like, you know, like Alex, Alex wasn't that impressive to, to some people who like, you know, didn't know about music. It just like they they wanted, you know, some theatrics, like some Eddie Van Halen or whatever. And, and, you know, Alex wasn't that dude. Alex was the dude that was going to kill you with chords, you know, kill you with uh, with different shapes. And he was his own guy, you know, and I was a fan, you know. Uh, Geddy Lee was the great, one of the great bass players of all time, you know, that had his, his own thing and um, influenced a lot of bass players of today. You know, a lot of dudes would tell you, you know, how sick Getty is. Getty was fucking sick. And to think that he was singing at the same time and he's playing keyboards at the same time. Ridiculous. You know, um, and then we get to the man, you know, uh, Neil, you know, and, and I'm going to talk about his lyrics first, man. I mean, you know, writing songs, you know, like subdivisions, talking about, you know, the, you know, everything that goes on with the schools and the bullying and the, and the, uh, peer pressure and, the you know, lack of consent and all those things that were the fucking eighties and, you know, breaking them, breaking them down, you know, and <clears throat> talking about, you know, um, big money, you know, goes around the world talking about, you know, the corruption and everything talking about marathon talking about, you know, uh, what you need to do to, to, to get where you need to get. And I mean, every single song closer to the heart, you know, what, you know, how we need to like, you know, learn to get along and learn to play our part and learn to do our thing, you know, and all these songs, they meant stuff, you know, they, they, uh, they were, uh, a guidebook on, you know, how to live in a sense and even though, here's, here's the funny thing. The funny thing is that in, uh, what is it, 88, 88, 89 or so, uh, a show of hands came out, um, Presto came out, and I started hanging out <clears throat> at the orphanage. Which the orphanage was the house of my boy Rodney, Rodney Shippey. And he was also my drummer in the in the Orphans band, and um, and his house was open twenty four seven, pretty pretty much because we were we were trying to be awake twenty four seven as much as we could, and um, 
and he liked Rush. And he, you know, he liked Rush, but he didn't know that much about Rush. And so I was just like more than fucking willing to fucking sit there and just put album after album and over and over and break it down. And, you know, we'd be, you know, lit as fuck or fucking drunk as shit. And, you know, just like, yeah, man, you know, um, theorizing about Rush and, you know, playing chess, you know, we were all fucked up, but, you know, Rush had us feeling like gentlemen, you know, or like fucking scholars of, you know, learned men from, of, of the learned albums of Rush, you know, so, yeah, man, I mean, we were, we were into it, and, uh, and right at that time, fucking, you know, Presto comes out, and bam, they're back, you know, Hard rock again, kind of, you know, and and roll the bones, counterparts, you know, all these all these albums came out, and again, I'm steadily going to see Rush, steadily going to see Rush, steadily going to see Rush, and it's great, man. I mean, that's at that point, that's when they Rush really went from being, you know, just a band that that I liked. To, to being one of my absolute favorite bands because I could just, they transcended just being about, oh, you know what? You got to be heavy metal or you got to be, you got to be, you got to look cool or you got to, you know, after Rush, it was like, you don't really got to do any of that shit. I'm over that shit. You know, I like Rush. You know, I like fucking uh, important bands. You know, I like it. Uh, it's almost as if as if Rush gave me a, a a more sense of importance of myself in a way. You know, uh, and the funny thing is that I've never been in a band that that played any Rush that covered Rush. I was never in a band that was good enough to cover Rush. I don't think, you know, and. Uh, and that's why even, you know, I see like these, these, there's some tribute bands in San Diego, Rush tribute bands. There's one called Anthem and there's one called Xanadudes. And, um, I've seen both of them and the dudes, uh, like the dude from Anthem, he, he's a great bassist, man. He, uh, as a matter of fact, he's also has iron, his name's Jack Wagner. He also has a uh, Up the Irons. He's in Up the Irons, which is an Iron Maiden tribute that's great. And he's in Anthem, which is a Rush tribute that's great. And to me, like, I mean, I see that dude, and that's a talented-ass musician, man. I mean, just to be able to be, you know, he's got to be Steve Harris on one night, and then he's got to be Getty Lee. And a matter of fact, I think, I think he's done it the same night before. I think he's done those two, like... He'll play in one, and then some, and then some other band will play, and then he'll play um, the other set. We're talking about full hour and a half sets, you know, of of Getty Lee, and then of Steve Harris, or vice versa. Amazing man, you know, and and the crazy thing is that the way the the way the um, market is, or whatever, uh, a talented ass musician like that can't you know really make it just playing music has to have a job and whatever you know but um anyways yeah though those parts were oh yeah, yeah yeah and and there i'm just talking about neil pert's lyrics of course the drumming i mean 
I don't know. I you know there there's people who dispute that he's the best rock drummer. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna say he's the best drummer in the world. I mean, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, this jazz drummer is better, and this, you know, uh, whatever. That's fine. You know, that's cool. But I don't really listen to that shit. So, you know, that that's great. You know, for me, you know, I know that there's a lot of great jazz guitarists too, and there's a lot of great country guitarists, and whatever. But to me, those aren't the best dudes. The best dudes are the dudes that I like. You know, are the are the are the metal dudes. And to me, the best drummer that you know has ever been is uh, is Neil. Now I know that there there's dudes that can do what he did. You know, Portnoy can do all the Neil Peart's shit. And I'm sure that there's a lot of other dudes that can too. But that doesn't really, that doesn't mean shit to me because you didn't do that shit. You didn't make that shit up, you know. Um, and at a time when there wasn't, you know, anybody else. I mean, you know, yeah, John Bonham was great and, you know, whatever. Uh, Keith Moon, I never really fucking, I never really got it. But uh, to me, even even John Bonham, you know, even Bill Ward, who I think is great, um, they they couldn't do anything that uh, that Neil couldn't do, and Neil could do a lot of shit that they couldn't do. I think so. You know, uh, and I mean, iconic shit. You know, like like when I was in um, in school, you know, other people who liked other kind of music they knew who Neil Peart was they knew uh the drums from from Tom Sawyer and you know they knew uh, YYZ or whatever that song you know they they knew they knew who, who he was and I think that um universally I mean it's just like anything you know it's just like uh when when you um when you meet like some reggae dudes like some dudes that are really you know whatever some of them are like you know ah they they're like anti-bob marley but you know ah you know yeah bob was cool but bob is just bob was just a guy there's all these other guys who were just as you know whatever whatever nah you know not to me you know <laughs> i don't know but then you know i'm not a reggae expert you know by any means but you know, to me, Bob Marley was the dude, you know, uh, he wrote trans transcendental shit, you know, if somebody else wrote some transcendental shit, come and show it to me, it's not fucking night nurse, night nurse is not fucking transcendental, you know, uh, same thing with fucking, with, with Neil, for me, you know, um, yeah, if there's a better fucking, if there's a better rock drummer, show him to me, yeah, I, I don't fucking think there is, you know, I'm biased, of course, but that's my opinion. So anyways, after that, they come out with a couple of more good albums, you know, <clears throat> and then unfortunately, um, Neil's daughter gets killed in a accident, in a car accident. And he, you know, takes off for, you know, four, five years, whatever it was. And, uh, and there's no more rush, you know, <clears throat> and, during that time, I got busted, so I'm in the pen, and I'm like, you know, thinking, okay, that pretty much rushes over, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, I'm in there, you know, um, 
there's no musical instruments in there. You know, dudes were doing rap music in there, you know, pounding beats on a, on a, on a bench and, and, uh, or a cell desk and, um, and rapping. And I was like, you know, I, I liked gangster shit already too, because of a gangster environment that I was in. So, you know, I got into doing that and I got kind of good at doing that. So I kind of focused my shit towards that for a while. And when I got out, I wasn't really tripping on, on, uh, on what Rush was doing or whatever. And then I met my girl, Lonnie, and, uh, and, you know, once we started getting, you know, to know each other really well and everything, <clears throat> you know, I started introducing her to my music. She started int introducing me to, uh, to hers, you know, and, um, she didn't really like my, my rap music. My, my, uh, my style was very like, you know, misogynistic and fucking, uh, violent and whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because I mean, you know, like I said, I was busted. Then that's what, that's what I was writing about. But, um, so I started showing her, okay, well, I like you know, this band, I like this band, I like this band and I like Rush, you know? And she was like, liking rush you know she liked the drums she liked the bass she liked the 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 lyrics you know and uh which is funny because you know one of the one of the uh underlying you know things of of about rush is that they don't have a lot of female fans and if you go to the concerts you, you don't see a lot of chicks there's a lot of dudes different ages but it's mostly dudes and a lot of them are old you know and um I don't know what it is. There's there was a brotherhood of of I mean maybe uh maybe you got a Rush album when you went and got your Dungeons and Dragons shit or something, but um, yeah man a lot of a lot of dudes a lot of nerds whatever doesn't matter. Uh, once you're like, once you're into Rush, it's like you almost <clears throat> you you gave up on just trying to like what's cool or whatever. You just like what you like and and. Uh, and you know, yeah. And so I started in showing Lonnie about Rush, where she got more into it or whatever. I got back into Rush again, you know, even though I would still go see them every time. And but sometimes I would go see them, and I wouldn't know the fucking songs, you know. Uh, when I went in and um, for the Snake and Arrows tour, I didn't know the fucking songs. You know, for the uh, Clockwork Angels tour, I didn't know the songs. There's a there was a lot of um, a lot of t but it didn't matter because it was Rush and they and the performance was fantastic, and every couple of songs was one of the fucking bangers. You know, and they 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 never forgot. You know, uh, what what songs they absolutely have to play. You know, and and that's good. You know, um, there's some bands that you know that that are still touring and you're happy to see them, but they're fucking really, really trying to still sell it, that fucking album, that new album. And so they're going to play you the whole fucking thing. And a couple, you know, and, and I've seen bands just turn off a fucking, where the crowd's just yelling, play some old shit. You don't really have to do that with Rush because they're always going to play, you know, certain staple songs, you know, and they're going to play you some new shit, but the new shit is off the hook. If you, you know, Rush has never done nothing bad. Uh, well, I mean, for me, honestly, I 
I can go with I can go without the first album really. I can go uh Caress of Steel is not really my shit, you know. Fly by Night has got, you know, a couple of jams on it, but it's not really my shit, you know, but after that then I love everything, you know. After that I love everything. So um so yeah, I grew up, I grew with and into Rush. Um, and like I said, I've seen them about, you know, 23 times, I think is the number. So yeah, the crazy thing is that on the last tour, which was, uh, 2015, I didn't go because, um, because after every year of coming to San Diego, every year, every year, every year, every year, on their last and final tour, they decide that they're not coming, right? So I gotta go to Irvine, which I fucking hate the fucking Irvine Meadows Amphitheater. It can fucking suck a dick. The fucking security there are dicks. The cops up there are dicks. It's a fucking shit fucking venue, you know? Uh, or I gotta, you know, go to fucking, go to the, four, well, the bottom line is this, man. I'm fucking, I'm, I'm from, I'm San Diegan to the bone. And we're over here dealing with this shit that the Chargers are going to fucking leave and all this shit, which they eventually do. And, you know, and suddenly, you know, like my fate, one of my favorite fucking bands that comes here every fucking year is not going to fucking come. And other bands are not coming and other shit is not happening. Motherfuckers are leaving. Motherfuckers are not coming and fucking I'm just like, you know what, man, fuck this shit, man. You know, if they can't fucking, you know, they can't do what they always do, then I ain't going to do what I always do and whatever. And that's a decision that I fucking regret, you know. Uh, first of all, I wasn't sure that I believed it. I wasn't sure I believed it would be the last one because there's a lot more older bands still playing, you know. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, that Neil didn't, you know, he didn't want to lose a step. He didn't want to lose a step in front of everybody. People think he's the best. I think he's the best, you know, and the best don't want to fucking ever look silly, I guess. You know, don't want to ever look fucking sad. And and you know what? And the way that fucking people are, man, the fucking haters would line up. As soon as fucking, oh, what? Did you hear that? Oh, Neil. You know, ain't what he used to be. Oh, nothing lasts forever, dude. You know, fucking... Whatever, hate, 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 because, you know, you got to tear down, right? You, the, the ones you build up, you got to tear them down, whatever. Uh, so, you know what? He, he didn't give them the satisfaction. and That's cool, I guess, in itself, you know? He's a weird dude. He's always been a weird dude, you know, like, uh, that, you know, and that's why he writes that shit. And that's why he plays drums like that. You know, if he wasn't a fucking introvert and weird dude and, you know, he, he wouldn't play like that. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't write like that. He wouldn't be that dude. And so that's cool, man. Fucking, uh, Neil rules, Rush rules. You know, what else can I say? What I will tell you is this. In preparation for this, I saw a documentary called Beyond the Lighted Stage. It's awesome. You should check it out. Uh, I watched some concert videos. If you can get your hands on some concert videos, check them out. Because, you know, 
they're not coming around no more. And I mean, and you know what, man, if you can catch a performance from every era, get on YouTube. I, I download YouTube videos and watch them, put them on a USB and watch them on the TV. Like, a, a you know, like, a, um, like a VHS from the day. And that's pretty much what they look like. The, the YouTube ones, they look like VHS quality, but you know what? I'm from that time. I don't give a fuck. And I can see what the, what the band was like, what the band played like during fucking, you know, this era. I can remember certain, certain things about certain tours from watching the videos. I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that shit. Oh yeah, I remember the fucking washing machines. And I remember the chicken rotisserie thing. And, you know, I remember Presto, and I remember fucking moving pictures, and, you know, I remember all that shit. So, it's like, you know, yeah, go watch some video, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, I'm going to grab the live album, Different Stages, 1998, and check that shit out, and get into it. You know, it's, uh, you know, the 10 years after Show of Hands, and I, I for whatever reason, I'd never owned it i don't think and i never uh i never got all the way into it so as a uh reintroduction to myself to rush uh and who knows this might send me on a whole nother rush trip and i might be fucking strumming some fucking alex lifeson chords for you on the next fucking intro i don't know you never know anyways until the next one this is Big Frog for the Hit the Light podcast, and I'm out.